the apostle and the believers throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, they criticized him. You ate with them? You went into the house of the uncircumcised men and you ate with them? So starting from the very beginning, Peter told them the story. I was in the city of Joppa and I was praying and in a trance I, I saw a vision and I saw something like, like a large sheet being led down from heaven by its four corners and, and it came to where I was and I looked into it and I looked into it and saw four footed animals wild beasts and, and, and reptiles and, and birds and then I heard, I heard a voice telling me get up Peter kill and eat and I replied surely not Lord nothing impure or unclean has ever entered into this mouth surely not but but then the voice spoke again it came from heaven a second time and it says do not call anything impure that God has already cleaned. So this happens th three times. One, two, three times. And then everything is pulled up to heaven again. And then right then, this, these three men, they, they come and they have been sent to me from Caesarea and, and they come. And the spirit of the Lord had already told me no hesitation when they come. And six other men, six brothers also went with me and we entered into the man's house. And he told us he had seen an angel. An angel had appeared in his house and had said, listen, send to Joppa. Send to Joppa for Simon, a man called Peter. Send to Joppa for him. And so this is what happens. Send to Joppa for Peter. He will preach a message. He will speak a word that will save your entire household. So as I began, I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come to us at the very beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, so if God, if God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? And when they heard this, I mean, they had no further objections. 
And they praised God, saying, then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Reconciliation of relationships is what this Friday is all about. I like to share with you my personal story how God sort of flipped that on its head for me. So my wonderful husband is here on the very first row. He was sitting next to me. And I met him. I was working at a theological institution and had just recently joined the team. And uh, as I'm in this institution, they asked me, do you know a guitar player? And so I said, well, I'm new, don't really know anybody yet, but there's this gentleman, he kind of walks around with this guitar case. I am not sure if he carries books or if there's even a guitar in there, but I always see him with this guitar case. Perhaps we should ask him. So of course I could not come up with a name, but my office was right across from the door of the office of the Dean of Chapel. And he said, if you ever seen him, just point him out to me and I'll take care of it. So because I could look into who walked into the office, I saw Dan walk into that office. So I got up from my desk, went knocking on the door, and as I came over, I said, this is him, and froze. I'm sure I was as red. He doesn't remember any of this. But my hand froze probably 30 seconds. I thought it was five minutes, to be honest, because in me, from my head to my toe, this wasn't just the guy with the guitar case or the bookcase or whatever you want to call it. Something in me said, this is him, like the real him. Like, I'm going to marry him. This is him. So I want you to know that despite the fact that I think he's fine looking, let that be known, <laughs> I did contain myself and I said, oh no, it cannot after I took care of business at the Dean of Chapel, I went to my office and I went before God and I'm saying, no, 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 God, I'm Puerto Rican and he's white. There is something wrong with this picture. And I said, this is the whole truth. I'm being raw and vulnerable with you. I said, I've got a list and that's not on my list. I'm supposed to marry a Puerto Rican man. And then I said this to him. In my conversation with God, I said, all I've known is assemblies of God, and he's Wesleyan, and that does not fit. <laughs> Did I have issues or what? I wish that I could tell you that in the process of that, that it was a simple process for me. But God really had to dig deep into my heart. And I remember we were preparing for an event heading to China. Happy New Year's, happy Chinese New Year's to my fellow Chinese brothers and sisters. We were heading to China and we were doing a concert in the process of it, just raising funds for this trip to China. And I'm with my team and there's two of them having this only conversation. And in that only conversation, one of them says, Jimmy, God doesn't always give you what you want, but you can count on him to give you what you, what you need. Amen. <laughs> and I begin to weep 
This conversation had nothing to do with me, but I begin to weep. I fall down to my knees, and I'm weeping before the presence of God while the rest of my team is thinking I am crazy and have lost my mind. But in that very personal, intimate moment with God, God says, man, you stand on pulpits and you preach about the nations and you preach about all tribes and tongues and peoples coming together. And when I bring a little bit of diversity to your doorstep, you close it shut. Needless to say, I married him 15 years, going on 16 real soon here. So I relate to this passage in a very particular way because there's so much stacked in here, but there's certainly two particular things that Peter had to deal with. And it was his own cultural lenses and the limitations that came from that and the whole religious limitations that came from who he was in terms of his culture and what his religious beliefs were. Get up and eat, Peter. Surely not. Nothing unclean has ever touched these lips. Peter, in this moment and in the process of this trance and this vision that he experienced, God does an incredible work in his life. And in order for that to remain the incredible work that it was, then now he needs to explain what his behavior is. How many of you know that when God does that type of breaking free in our lives, of those cultural barriers that have limited us, where we begin to create walls and there's an us and a them, when God breaks us free, there's always people around us that are going to criticize us. Let me make the, the assumption that you have no idea of what you're talking about. So as God's spirit begins to usher into this room and he begins to uncleanse you, to lift your eyes and to give you a vision for the way he sees IWU, the way he sees the nation, the way he sees the globe, the way he sees us, there will be people that criticize you. And Peter had to defend himself. I want you to hear that I recognize that reconciliation begins with me. That there has to be a self-reconciliation that occurs. And that I do also believe the importance of reconciliation occurring between you and I. But the real message that I want you to hear from my mouth is that none of those things compare or of or are of the value that they're intended to be if there is not reconciliation first with God. If God was choosing to reveal himself to the Gentiles, who am I to stand in his way? In this reconciliation with God is where the real freedom comes forth for you and I. And so I want to call you IWU, that we would be reconciled with God. And what does that mean? It is God's plan. It is the Holy Spirit that comes down. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, everything changes. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, everything changes. And so as we open our hearts for the Holy Spirit to shower upon us, that means that our cultural limitations are broken down. That our biases, that our implicit biases, and that our 
unintentional racism begins to fall down. I'll say that again. Unintentionality does not make it right. But when the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ comes into our lives and we have eyes to see, there is a transformation. And who knows, you just may marry him like I did. May the Spirit of God come upon us. I want you to know that I'm here, even standing before you, because I think God has chosen us for such a time as this. It is us. It is you. It is I. It is the whites. It is the blacks. It is the Latinos. It is the Asians. It is the Baptists, it is the Methodists, it is the Wesleyans, it is the Pentecostals, it is the Assemblies of God, it is us. It is us that God is calling to just open up our hands. I pray that you would be stuck in a trance and that you would have vision, that you would have a vision that whatever in your mind was unpure, that whatever in your heart you were believing that you were better or less, that that would disappear itself. And that you, as Peter, would have the courage to be reconciled with God so that every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every peoples would come to know who Jesus Christ is. How dare you think that you can stand in God's way? It's going to happen. It will happen. Will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it? It's going to happen. So I guess the Gentiles also received the Gentile Pentecost Day happened as part of his story. May God set us up in such a way that we would experience the day of Pentecost upon this campus to the extreme where it does not stay within these walls, but where Marion is transformed. And from Marion, we go to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, brothers and sisters. Yo me rindo a él. That's what I want. Yo me rindo a él. Todo a Cristo. Yo entrego. Quiero Indeed, God does like to set us up. The setup for me was being taught a new way of saying one of three little words. Sorry. A, a, a friend of mine in college taught us that anybody can say, I'm sorry, sorry. 
But if you really mean it, be intentional. Say, sorry. So when I was in college, whenever we really meant it, that might not be as often as we said sorry, we would say, sorry. I call it a gesture. It, it, it sounds like a request for forgiveness rather than, excuse me. It's a gesture for sustaining community. But worship is that kind of gesture. It points to an action beyond the sanctuary that displays our relationship with God. We say, I'm sorry, in the sanctuary. But do our lives represent that we were sorry, intentional? A gesture is a symbol that can point to reconciliation. I say it can be because symbols are subjective. And they often need interpretation. I, I, I wish that a gesture was a sign of reconciliation. A sign has meaning in and of itself. It's it, it specifically meant to communicate something. So think a stop sign. Signs, it, it doesn't mean, think about stopping. It means stop. Signs are usually informative, regulatory. They warn or they prohibit, but a symbol a symbol is a form of a sign that had deep meaning. It, it can be interpreted in different ways since its meaning is not universal. A symbol can be interpreted differently by people from different backgrounds. So a cross is an example of a symbol that has been universally accepted as representing Christianity. But every cross is not pointing to Christianity. Every sorry is not sorry. A gesture points to something. And my friend in college made sorry a gesture pointing toward a genuine feeling of distress, of experiencing sympathy with someone else's misfortune. Now don't hold it against me if I don't quickly say I'm sorry, but no, I really mean it if you ever hear me say, sorry, I am sorry. Three little words are the most significant in any con courageous conversation. More powerful than a gesture is the action that follows. One gesture that becomes a single act can change an entire community. I watched it happen in a community, in a congregation that I serve. Not the gesture, but the act. When I first came to this little congregation in a cornfield in Michigan, I had lunch with a member because she wanted me to know about a situation in the church. She needed me to understand that she and her family were in a feud 
with another family in the congregation. I, I mean an old-fashioned Hatfields and McCoy feud, hostility, anger, animosity. And what she wanted to tell me was that I was going to find out soon enough and that I should not try to do anything about it. She wanted me to be clear first off in my time at this congregation to understand that what was going on between her family and this family was not going to end just because I was their pastor, no matter what I thought about reconciliation. It, it, she even went so far as to say, if God could remove the animosity in my heart, I wouldn't let him. Okay, I think I'm sensing that I probably shouldn't put the two of you on the same committee together. Now, it was interesting because when I went to this church, folks kept asking me when I was going to integrate the church, recognizing that my presence in this little white congregation didn't mean integration. And I said to them, you know, when the farmer that sits on this side of the congregation, so he doesn't have to sit next to the farmer that sits on that side of the congregation. When the two of these begin to worship together in the sanctuary, I'll think about inviting folks from the outside to consider this community. Why would I invite someone from out there when there was so much hostility in here? The congregation, the, the feud in the congregation had spilled out into the entire community. It was clear in town. It was clear at the farmer's market. It was clear in the schools. Their children were fighting with each other. And in the church, people had taken sides. And everybody made it clear to me whose side they were on. So one day, when my lay leader came to me, looking for some, a third person to participate in Laity Sunday, she said, I just need, I just need, I just need one, one name. Can you give me a name? And I felt convicted to give her the name of the woman that had had lunch with me when I first arrived at the congregation, knowing that my lay leader was on the other side of the feud. She had sided with the farmer. Now everybody in the congregation, everybody in the community, everybody knew that the farmer had wronged the family, but they'd taken sides. And as I'd gotten to know this woman, what I learned about her was that she was living her faith in the community, on her job, outside of the sanctuary, which was kind of interesting because she really wasn't living it in the sanctuary because of the animosity that she had with this farming family. But I, I looked at my lay leader and I said, I'm going to give you a name. You're not going to like it. And then I gave her the name. And she said, I don't like it. But a couple of weeks later, when Laity Sunday came, 
I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary because they told me, Pastor, this is our day. You don't need to do a thing. And so I sat in the back of the sanctuary, and as I sat there, and the two of the people began to speak, and then the third person was this woman. And I was thinking, wow, that's great. And as she got up to speak and began to share about how she tried to live her faith Monday through Saturday, she stopped cold and said, I can't do this. And I started to pray, God, she's doing a great job. Give me the anxiety that she's feeling so she can finish. I teach preaching. That is a horrible prayer to preach when your students are failing up front. Because when God answers it, you feel horrible for the next eight minutes. But anyway, I digress. I prayed that prayer, and then I started to listen again to what she was saying and what she was saying is, you all heard Pastor Joy's sermon last week. I thought about my sermon from the previous Sunday. Oh, right, Cain and Abel. I had preached on Cain and Abel. She said, Pastor Joy preached from Matthew. Man, that was a failure. Cain and Abel's in Genesis. I mean, it was the first book, but of the other testament. But while I had talked about the animosity between these brothers, I had described how Cain had taken his offering to the Lord but had a problem with his brother. And I used the words of Jesus in Matthew to say, God won't receive our offering in worship if we have problems with our brother. And that's all she heard. When she left out of church that Sunday, she said that was a hard sermon. And I was trying to think, does she have any brothers? But as she stood in that pulpit that Sunday, she said, I can't do this. You all know that I have a problem with my brother. And she looked at the father of that family that had wronged her family, that had held this feud for so many years. And she looked at him and she said, I ask your forgiveness for the animosity I've held in my heart against you. It is not there anymore. And that farmer received that act of reconciliation. And when I left that church and I stayed in contact with those members, they started a prayer group together. While I was still there, they were in Bible study together. They are working together in that congregation because it wasn't just a gesture. It was an act. And she didn't wait for him to get his act together. She asked 
for forgiveness for the animosity that she had let build in her heart in response to his evil. And because she did that, they were reconciled. And that church was no longer a church that was just about, well, this is where people go on Sunday. People in the community began to notice that there was something different about these people. In fact, one day I met a co-worker of the husband of this woman. And he looked at me and, he, and I, I realized he worked with him. And I said, oh, do you know Mike? And he said, oh yeah, I know Mike. Everybody knows Mike. How do you know Mike? And I said, he's a member of my congregation. And the co-worker said, that explains it. And I said, that explains what? And he said, well, he's still Mike. But he's different. You see, her one act spread in her household, and it spread in our church, and it spread in our community. I am sorry. Forgive me. These three little words are the most significant in any courageous conversation. To whom do you need to offer a gesture of reconciliation, an act? To whom, to what relationship might be recovered if you were to express genuine distress for the situation between you and another person? I mean someone you interact with all the time. This week we've talked about big gestures, important acts, attitude changes, courageous conversations. But sometimes the most courageous thing you can do is across the dinner table, across the hall, across the pew, someone you interact with on a regular basis because everyone knows you despise them and they despise you. I'm asking you, will you be a part of a truly courageous act? You can't do it if you're not reconciled with God. But if God's spirit is moving in your spirit, if there's a person, a name, a relationship that is in your imagination right now, my prayer for you is that the love of God that you've experienced might be shared through you to them. Because that act of reconciliation could literally change the world.